What the fuck is up, world? Biali Tlaltik Pak. We back in this bitch. Another podcast. Another grito for that ass. Coming about two weeks. <laughs> shamefully, admittedly, after my last podcast. I say shamefully because I talk so much shit about bringing these motherfuckers out to you once a week for the remaining for the rest of the year. And it took me all three weeks to fucking not do that. <laughs> so shamefully in that respect, right? But motivationally in the sense that I'm fucking here now, dog. Um, your boy got uh, infl- afflicted, <coughs> excuse me, by a little sickness of the spirit this last week, right? That's pause. That's part of the reason I should say as to why it took me two weeks to get this next podcast out. Um, but ironically enough, as I was preparing for this particular podcast, well, for I was going to come do it eventually. I was going to force myself to do it, right? Uh, the podcast that I was supposed to do last week. Um, I was reading through some of my uh, notes that I got here, and it actually fucking motivated me to just drop it today. These aren't notes that I wrote about, that I wrote myself personally, but specifically notes that I wrote in regards to a lecture that I had prepared for Nietzsche. And there's just something about my boy Nietzsche, dog, that it's just the words are magic, right? Words, words are magic, bro. And Nietzsche's words to me specifically are definitely magic. They helped heal a little bit of the sickness of spirit that I was dealing with, right? And I said, you know what, dog? Fuck it. Drop everything right now and let's get this bitch popping. We're going to do a Nietzsche podcast today. And honestly, the more I thought about it, I realized like it fits in perfectly with the last podcast and thus it's not necessarily a complete detraction from the podcast series that I got in mind going on right now with the truth about story shit that I'm doing, right? Um, so before we get into it though, just real quick, some formalities to get them out the way. If you haven't already, follow your boy on the Instagram, OG underscore ice nice 13, right? Keep up with that. Not just me, but the podcast as well. And uh, help that shit grow, dog, so we can fucking build continue to build the community of that we're fucking sending out out there shout out to simon right uh the community i was about to say something along the lines of how people can be <laughs> i forget the conversation so i apologize i'm butchering it here but the basic gist was it's something that we agreed that he sent and i agreed with something like that uh how can a person be something you know a fan of like joe rogan and a sad boy at the same time an existentialist and a fucking absurdist type shit at the same time right and that's basically what we got going on with this podcast uh, and obviously the little interma- interconnected matrices of podcasts that we all, I'm sure, listen to together, right? The idea here being our community that's building organically through this podcast, right, is that that I just mentioned. So, you know, every little like, follow, share, it goes a long way in helping to connect further this little weird-ass community that I'm glad to be helping foster, you know what I'm saying? So, with that in mind, we continue along with the Nietzschean portion of the podcast, and we'll start here with of all things, dog, the will to power, okay? And this is where it starts to fit in perfectly with everything we've been talking about, right? And before I continue, I'll just have to ask that we recall first that Nietzsche's conception of power has very little to do with physical force. This is, I cannot emphasize this enough, okay? It's one of the reasons why and how the Nazis managed to co-opt this philosophy because most people's understanding of power and force, it comes strictly from this brutish sense of physical force, right? And that's exactly what Nietzsche's railing against is saying, nah, dog, that's that's not me, okay? Um, in fact, as hopefully I get to show you throughout the duration of this podcast, power for Nietzsche, again, expressed in this manner, is of the lowest kind. It's brute animal force and instinct, and obviously the animal nature is something Nietzsche was trying to overcome. And because of that, he looked down fever- fervently on this physical expression of power that manifests itself in the form of war specifically, right? but is motivated through shit like nationalism, eth- uh, uh, more more, more importantly, ethno-nationalism, the likes of which obviously were fucking embodied through 
the Nationalist Socialist Party of Germany, okay? The Nazis. So um, it's this is a critical distinction to make, right? For the sheer fact that much of Nietzsche's philosophy, it's been, again, co-opted by those who simply, they don't understand it, dog. Um, and because of this, it's continued to attract negative criticism in regards to what it's alleged to advocate. So again, just with any time that I talk about Nietzsche, I feel the need to clear, you know, uh, set a clearer understanding of Nietzschean power, right? It's necessary to understand this in his greater philosophy as a whole, okay? So what I'm trying to say then is that, simply put, um, Nietzsche's notion of power, it's the foundation for his ethics and philosophy. So you cannot understand Nietzsche without first understanding his conception of power, okay? Um, he's going to argue, Nietzsche is, that the greatest expression of power is to overcome oneself. So you can already start to see a little bit how, you know, I go back and I read these notes dog, all the fucking time, all the time, right? Notes, actually, the, the name of the article that I titled it is Nietzsche is the shit, G, okay? <laughs> and I go back and I read this fucking, it's not an article, it's my notes, right? That uh, It's just one of the many that I have uh, in regards to books I've read on Nietzsche, okay? And I go back and I read these bitches all the time, you know, just if I need to spiff you up on some Nietzschean philosophy, if I'm feeling a little sick of spirit, you know, uh, I'll go back and read this shit and, you know, to, and it always helps for whatever reason. And so you can start to see here a little bit why this expression of power uh, particularly in this sense, being in the desire to overcome oneself. Like, I, I seek to overcome and become a better person, but in order for that to happen, I have to overcome myself, right? There's a lot of shortcomings that I personally got that need to be overcome, and the goal to fucking becoming this, uh, you know, greater person is overman, if you will, right? So, again, it's through this understanding that this will to power itself is understood as nothing more than the standard of self-overcoming, again, that is inherent in his very ethical theory. It's a philosophy, it's a philosophy of beauty, it's a philosophy of aesthetics, right? The realization that we ourselves are projects to be overcome, people were to be overcome as a whole, right? But also us individually. So the will to power is this fucking desire, this inner desire that we have to overcome, okay? The self-overcoming in order so that we can make our lives this fucking work of art that he's always speaking about, right? We're both the painter and the painted. So um, Nietzsche is going to argue then that any power that is had over others is nothing more than a very debasement and demeaning, uh, demeaning debasement rather of this very fact. So what he's trying to say is like, it's just an old adage, bro. Power over others is power, but power over oneself is true. Like master over truth, oneself is true mastery or true power, something like that, right? It's the same idea. It's been fucking reverberated time immemorial, okay? And the idea, obviously, is that what good is taking over when you know what you're going to do? The only real revolution happens right inside of you. I said what good is taking over when you know what you're going to do? The only real revolution happens right inside of you. For those of you that do follow your boy on the gram, you'll know that today, today is what, uh, January 25th? I posted that very thing, dog. So I'm J. Cole, right? Um... <laughs> And I guess it's fitting, it's a little bit of insight into where this podcast is coming from because it's the same idea, again, being espoused by J. Cole, this desire to overcome oneself and the desire to have control over others. Like, that's not power. That's a vulgar display of power. It's base-level animalistic power, the likes of which Nietzsche is not seeking. Right? He's looking to overcome oneself, the revolution inside oneself. You know what I'm saying? So, um... It's interesting then because obviously this understanding there's a correlation with politics, right? And despite his co-option of, you know, by the Nazi party, Nietzsche himself, he avoided politics for the most part, right? And so much of his power is actually more directed towards freedom as opposed to politics, okay? 
In fact, he's going to want to tell us, Nietzsche, is that the only freedom that politics gives us is the freedom to obey and the freedom to mediocrity, right? Or freedom of mediocrity, rather. Uh, the mediocrity inherent in the current brands of democracy and socialism. <laughs> Nietzsche, not a fan of socialism, right? Definitely not a fan of Karl Marx. Um, what he's trying to say then is like, no, nah, that, that's a vulgar sense of power. That's not, the, that's not our freedom. That's not the kind of shit that I'm looking for, okay? What I'm looking for is freedom, which is nothing more than to have true power over oneself. That is true, actual freedom, bro. And that's the, that's the kind of power that I'm looking for. That which is expressed in true freedom, right? Mastery over oneself, control over oneself. Sorry, my, my dog is over here causing a ruckus. It's going to snow tonight in the desert of El Paso, Texas, right? So oh, he's been inside with me all day just to try to keep him nice and toasty. So I apologize for all the noise that he'd be making in the meantime. <laughs> um, anyways, so going back into this, uh, this conception of freedom, uh, what he's going to tell us, Nietzsche, is, is that this freedom is tied to the mastery of the impulses to reason, okay? It is the what he's going to refer to the result of the development of a balanced concept of self and sublimation, right? This notion that it is the basic postulate of morality and most importantly, that it is primarily uh, a moral autonomy rather than political freedom from or over others, right? So, uh, the basic gist here is, you know, you have these weak people, for instance, who find strength in institutions through the externalization of their ego, whether it be an institution such as the United States of America, the government, the military, the fucking some professional sports franchise, right? You have these people who minus the strength that they have as personal individual people to, you know, make their life something of importance or value. They rather externalize that strength and they, you know, satisfy their egoistic desires for power through institutions that are already fucking readily established, such as the United States government, the United States military, a professional sports franchise, etc. Right. And obviously, this is bad for two reasons. The first and most simplistic of which being is that it's a very uh, it's a very blase life. Right. It's not an actual life of authenticity. It's not the aesthetic work of art specifically to use in the Chian language that he's going to ask of us, right? Um, but more importantly, that's where these fucking, those institutions, they can turn on a dime in a heartbeat. And they generally do because ultimately they're going to collapse to the one fucking identity that is the easiest and the most fucking basic, again, animalistic for any person to latch onto. And that is of their actual ethnic makeup. And when people start getting into like ethno, when they mix their ethnicity and their fucking politics, that's where you get shit like ethno-nationalism and the fucking Nazis to which Nietzsche's going to vehemently, vehemently fucking reject for that very reason, both on the grounds of, obviously, the evil shit that's committed in their names and destruction, right? People like to say that Nietzsche was uh, anti-Semite. He wasn't, dog. And he decried openly many times the fucking treatment of Jewish people, right? But more importantly, because, you know, that when you lose yourself, you lose the ability to make your life something of an aesthetic work of art. When you just simply latch on and give your power away to these institutions. So he's going to tell us like, nah, dog, there's a basic postulate of morality. What is it? Freedom, the ability to live an autonomous life. And the only way this is going to happen is if you learn to master and submit your fucking impulses to reason, to understand your, you know, your role and your development, right? 
uh, of, of yourself and towards this grand sublimated process of, you know, a higher self, an over self, okay, this over man that he's going to talk about, the ubermensch, if you will, right? And that's not going to happen, right, <laughs> through politics because politics, that's not actual freedom and autonomy. That's just some shit that always ends up in fucking gross ethno-nationalism. Now, again, it's to be... It's no surprise then that just given this, you know, little bit of a backdrop that Nietzsche has very harsh views again about our general connotation of freedom. He's going to argue specifically that it's uh, clouded by its current association with civic moral responsibility and autonomy. So <laughs> this is where we're starting to see a little bit of the fucking quote unquote rugged individualism in Nietzschean philosophy. I don't quote unquote it because it's not there per se, but I quote unquote it because what we know, you know, of, um, Rugged individualism that's given to us by the mainstream media and shit. It's not really rugged individualism, the likes of which Nietzsche's referring to. Nietzsche's going to recognize this fucking quote unquote, pull yourself up by one bootstraps form of rugged individualism as just another one of those uh, stereotype, you know, uh, personality structures, if you will, starter packs, right? Forms that, that have reduced fucking freedom to its vulgar sense, right? Uh, he's going to tell us then that this association of freedom, okay, is more more closely related, in all honesty, to comfortable, bougie, which should be understood as Christian, okay, morality, the very likes of which he outright despises, dog, for the same reason why, actually, of all people, Kierkegaard despises as well, okay? And the reason being is that, basically, honestly, Kierkegaard and Nietzsche are the same philosopher, with the only distinction being that Kierkegaard believes in God and Nietzsche doesn't, okay? Um, well, actually, let me be more clear. Kierkegaard embraces Christianity and Nietzsche outright rejects Christianity, just to be very clear, okay? Anyways, what he's going to tell us is uh, this type of freedom that's associated with this bougie Christian moral value, okay? Uh, it's a passive. What it really is, it connotes this passivity. It connotes an unstrivingness, something that is merely given, okay? Something that is bound in conformity and in good citizenship. The best idea I can give you is what's referred to as a good person versus a good citizen, as exemplified through Lisa Simpson, of all people, our characters at least, <laughs> in her little opening section of the Simpsons uh, uh, introduction, where, you know, they're fucking playing their little instruments and shit in class, and the teacher on one hand is trying to teach the class to play a certain way, and Lisa is embodying the spirit of jazz, if you will, by completely just fucking freestyling the whole thing to which she gets kicked out of the classroom and she's got no problem. She goes along her merry way and continues fucking freestyling because the jazz is emanating from within her like the true work of art that it is, right? Nietzsche approves is the point I'm trying to make to that section. And uh, the, the parallel here being is the, the good person versus good citizen. What differentiates the two? For Nietzsche, the good citizen is that shit which should be avoided because the good citizen always is the example given to us by the Simpsons introduction does only as they are being directed by the orchestra director, the masters of humanity, masters of mankind, whatever it is, right? So what we should be looking for instead is the good person, okay? We should strive to be more so of a good person. Um, and you cannot be a good person in this fucking type of freedom that has been given to us, you know, because it's just they, the two are diametrically opposed, right? The good citizen is they're okay with conformity. They're okay with, you know, just something that is given to them, a personality structure, if you will, an identity that's given to them. And they're okay with being passive and unstriving. But a good person recognizes that these things are, you know, intrinsically bad, if you will, 
and seeks to reject them. And thus, because of that, the two are just diametrically opposed. Okay. So, I mean, just think about it, for instance, how many of, how many of us for, this is a good example. I think it's a good example, but it's one that I've used in my class plenty of times, right? Um, of how many of us in the United States of America actually earned our citizenship, right? Especially here along the borderland, bro. United States citizenship is obviously privileged around the world, right? Um, but many of us, we didn't earn this shit, dog. We were just happened by happenstance to be born here in this country and the fucking citizenship was given to us. And, you know, because of that, we take it for granted in many respects. Many of us don't fulfill our civic obligations, right? Um, and we don't really think twice about the struggles that people who don't have citizenship have because it's something that we've never had to deal with. It's unreflective. It's unstriving. There's nothing for us to work for in that particular respect. So it's not really, you know, it's bougie. It's blasé. It's just there, right? You convert, you, uh, you contrast that then in turn to people <laughs> who haven't had an American citizenship and understand full well, uh, exactly the importance of it and have gone out of their way to, you know, gain it for, you know, in ways that are either detrimental perhaps even to themselves or not. But there's an active striving that they're going to engage in in order to try to procure it because they recognize full well the value, if you will, of an American citizenship. Okay. Um, Another example would be, of course, is just consider how many of us simply conform to what is expected of us by society to continue riding along on this gravy train, which make no mistake about it, bro. Even in 2021, with all the crazy shit that's going on, the United States of America is still the fucking gravy train compared to many, many other places around the world. Now, to be fair, a lot of those places around the world have shit like universal basic income and universal health care, right? But even then... Uh, I guess the standard is actually pretty low when we start to think about it, okay? Um, you know, we're not living in a war-torn country just yet, right? But the point that I'm trying to make is life in the 21st century, despite all the fucked up shit that's happening, is still pretty chill, right? And because of that, uh, most of us, we're, we're, we're kind of willing to submit, <laughs> right, comfortably because of this. You know, when we start talking about shit like making actual change and revolution, you start to consider, well, how much do I really want shit to change, as opposed to how much do I just want to be in control? You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's kind of the idea that Nietzsche is getting at here. And what he's stating then is that this is not good for the individual person. And sometimes the individual person needs to do shit that is not, you know, that's not considered PC, if you will. That's not, you know, frowned, that's generally frowned upon, I should say, by society. And for the ultimate purpose being of them satisfying and living their own good life. Okay. Um, specifically then. What he's going to want to tell us is that this will to power, it doesn't share in any of the connotations that I just mentioned, okay? Um, rather, instead, the will to power, it resides in its steadfast commitment to struggle and battle, right? So before, back in the day, before I used to, before I got really deeply into Nietzsche and uh, Nahuatl philosophy, I used to look, I used to fucking suffer from the sickness of spirit dog for like months at a time. I'm talking like five, six months at a time, right? And then it would wash over me and then suddenly be replaced again a couple months later right now it's not as bad as it's, it's there it's always going to be there as part of the existence okay um there is no eliminating it it's not how they all works right but now a little bit now the, the what's really helped um what's really helped me in overcoming this is recognizing that and rather than seeking to avoid the fucking struggle in battle you have a steadfast commitment to it instead the avoiding comes when you're trying to smother the will to power. You know what I'm saying? Which to Nietzsche is just not only possible, impossible rather, but it's completely antithetical to living a good, happy life. 
So the shift for me then happened when you start to embrace the fucking will to power, when you start to, uh, you know, main, uh, affirm this steadfast commitment to struggle and battle and realize that, yo, all of life, dog, is the will to power, okay? Which is just another way of stating in this particular sense that all of life is a struggle and a battle. And you can either, to use the fucking little Lion King example, run to it or from it, right? Or run from it, I should state. The terrible fucking uh, example of the Lion King there. But the point is that when we start to view it in this respect, the power then becomes more of a psychological theory and an ethical standard, okay? So when we state the, the ethical standard here, the basic gist is that the only good and evil essentially is overcoming and mastering oneself or the inability to do so. So what is good? Power. What is bad? Anything that fucking seeks to stifle power, right? So you can start to see here a little bit where it could be co-opted by the people who are expressing it in the physical form and why Nietzsche looks so vehemently downward on it because no, that's not the kind of power I'm talking about. I'm talking about the power to overcome and master oneself, he's going to tell us, right? And the good is the ability to do so and the evil is the inability to do so, right? So there's no, to use his quotes of his books at least, we're moving beyond good and evil, beyond what Christian people think good and evil is and more into this different understanding that sees it as a matter of self-mastery and overcoming and everything that keeps from doing so, right? So um, this process, it, 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 it inherently involves, if you will, manifesting one's purpose. So, of course, at this point, we got to ask ourselves, well, what is my purpose? Okay? To which a simple response can be like, yeah, obviously, I don't know what your purpose is, right? I like to think that I have an idea of what my purpose is, okay? But, you know, in response to the question, if you don't know, you have to find it. Just you, you personally, each and every single one of us have to go about the path of discovering our own purpose, right? Hence, the importance of Nietzsche of discovering and studying philosophy because philosophy is what enables us to be able to do so. The alternative, of course, is to just go to your deathbed, if you will, knowing that you didn't even so much as try to do so, dog, whether it was out of laziness or ignorance, it just, it doesn't matter, okay? Because in death, there is ultimately no excuse, just an ultimate inability to do more, right? So the basic idea here is like you're laying there on your deathbed, bro, and it's time to go home, okay? And you're sitting there recognizing that clearly this is all going to come to an end. You've seen a little fucking, uh, the little stats, if you will, on the uh, on that machine, the, whatever the fuck it's called when you're laying on your deathbed, and they're slowly starting to take it down to zero and you real or to flatline, and you realize like, damn, all that time that I had to do all those things to master them and overcome myself to, you know, Make my life this work of art and beauty. That shit's gone, bro. You don't have an opportunity to do so anymore, okay? So when we start to see it this way, then we'll understand the will to power as a set of empirical hypotheses of limited scope, okay? And it's not intended to have any ethical value other than it is used as a means by which to criticize and measure everything else, okay? So what this means is that it's not empirical in that Everything, in, it's empirical rather, he states, in that everything in existence strives for it, power, and it's ethical in that every morality is built upon it, okay? Every morality is built upon a desire for will to power. Some of them are expressed in its most negative form, the desire to control, right? We see here like morality as a form of social control, like you only behave in a certain way to maintain order 
And because of that, the people who set the moral code control your behavior and that of society at a large. But also, as you know, the morality of the, the aesthetical element of morality where you work towards living this life of beauty and happiness, right? Um, but according to him, it's empirical in the sense that everything strives for it, meaning that every level, every living thing is driven by the will to power, the desire to continue to survive. It seems like a fundamental, it's a tautology for him, right? Everything uh, is interested in self-preservation and survival. So with this understanding, he's going to further utilize the will to power as a means by which to overcome this Darwinian beasthood, okay? Uh, this Darwinian beasthood that drives for survival with what he refers to as life striving, okay? So basically what he's telling us here is like, yo, you got to step your game up, son. Why? Because it's better to be Nietzsche dissatisfied than Socrates satisfied, homeboy. What do I mean by that? Well, let's put it simple. The hedonic similarities are not accidental, okay? As uh, hedonic in the terms of hedonism, hedonism because there's this ancient, well, it's not ancient, it's like fucking 200 years old, which is pretty still old, but still. Uh, it's not ancient like 5,000 years ago. Uh, the quote states that it's uh, Mills or some one of those European philosophers. He goes along and he states that it's better to be a human dissatisfied than a pig satisfied. It's better to be Socrates dissatisfied than a fool satisfied. The idea here being is that, you know, he's he's critiquing hedonists. It's a very shitty understanding of hedonism, actually. Uh, one of physical hedonism that states that the only pleasure or rather the only purpose of life is to procure physical pleasure. And that's kind of what he's, he's kind of like shitting on this person who made this quote, I believe it's either Mills or Stewart, right? When he's stating that it's better to be a human dissatisfied than a pig satisfied. Like, yes, you know, if uh, uh, the hedonists want to tell you, but again, this is not, this is a terrible understanding on their, on their, on their respect of hedonism. But what he's trying to state is that he's limiting hedonism to just physical pleasures, like a fucking pig rooting in shit, right? And he's stating that obviously we as humans, we look at a pig who roots in shit, a pig rather who's rooting in shit, and we look down on it, we, we cast judgment for being some sort of fucking just base level primal beast, right? And that, of course, it's better to be a human that although you might be dissatisfied with the way life is, it's better to be dissatisfied as a human to just be a fucking pig satisfied in shit. Um, and then he, he compounds this by stating that it's better to be Socrates dissatisfied than a fool satisfied. Like, yeah, it's unfortunate that Socrates allegedly was put to death for his beliefs, Right. But I'll take that any day over being just this fucking ignorant fuck that's just walking around life with no understanding or reflection at all whatsoever, okay? Um, so when I say the hedonic similarities are not accidental, that, that's what I'm referring to, that, that form of hedonism that sees happiness as only that which is derived by physical pleasures, okay? And then the quote, the ensuing quote of, is better to be Nietzsche dissatisfied than Socrates satisfied. Nietzsche shit on the Socratics, on the Platonic specifically, right? He fucking hated Plato, dog. So obviously, this is me fucking putting Nietzsche up on a pedestal, rightfully so, in my opinion, above Socrates, right? Because Socrates would be the fool in this case, and Nietzsche would be the fucking, you know, the, the genius, if you will. Anyways, the point that I'm trying to state here is that Nietzsche's conception of power can easily be likened to the hedonistic conception as well, okay, of pleasure. But the difference here being is that where the hedonistic, or rather the hedonic pleasure principle is predicated on the sustained attitude of enjoyment prescribed by attitudinal happiness. See, to give the hedonists credit, it's not just about physical pleasure for them. I'll talk about the hedonists some other time. But um, it's not just about physical, it's not just about physical shit like, you know, drinking, fucking all the time, eating good food. 
Like that's part of it, but it's not just about that. They're going to say it's part of what they refer to as attitudinal pleasure because it's the attitudinal pleasure that brings us actual true happiness, right? And what they're going to state then, the hedonist, is that the goal in life is to sustain the attitude of enjoyment, okay? And in that sense, Nietzsche's power then, it's similar. It's similarly predicated on pleasure and happiness, okay? Because he's going to insist that both are nothing more than a symptom of man's true goal, which, of course, is to attain increased levels of power, right? So what he's stating then is like, if you are happy and you are ex- experiencing pleasure, that's only a symptom of the true thing that's happening, and that is that you are increasing in power, okay? You are attaining increased levels of power. So you can make the correlation to an extent with the hedonist in that particular respect, right? The example that I always give in my classes is like, Okay, let's assume, for instance, that you hated every second of my philosophy class, but you stuck with it and you tried to learn as much from it as possible throughout the semester. You left nothing on the field, per se, as it were, okay, throughout the process. And ideally, if this is the case, at the end of the semester, you're going to be happy for having done so, okay, as you understand that having done so, you now possess the power to overcome similar and even greater difficulties in life, bro. So simply put, you've increased your power, your power has increased. And because of that, you're experiencing happiness. You understand that if you can sit through four or five months of a fucking boring ass philosophy class, you can fucking do anything, dog. It's just a launching pad. It's greater shit. And you're not going to gain the ability to do so unless you suffer, unless you struggle through having to endure a philosophy class that you didn't enjoy, but were forced to take nonetheless, right? Conversely, if you didn't give it your all, realistically, it's like a terrible sports cliche, but it's fucking true, dog. You didn't cheat anyone but yourself, bro, okay? And as much as you desire to blame someone else, okay, or whether you even realize it or not, the fault rests entirely with you. It rests entirely with me for not giving our all, okay? You could, of course, right, do what most of us would be inclined to do and blame the professor, for example, for not liking the philosophy class. But realistically, you realize that and I tell my students, like, yo, at any point in the semester, you could either have spoken up, right? And be like, yo, I don't like what you're doing here. I don't like your teaching style. Can you make it a little bit more, you know, oriented towards me? Or if you really felt some type of way about it, you could have dropped, right? Like, you always have the freedom to change the fucking circumstances in which you find yourself in, right? But you didn't. And because of that, <laughs> you didn't do it because you were powerless to do so, Okay. Maybe you're powerless because you're afraid, again, of societal forces that are going to, you know, look down upon you negatively for not attaining a college degree that is only possible through most curriculums by satisfying core curriculum uh, requirements such as a fucking philosophy class. And rightfully so, just so we're clear, right? Uh, Never mind just the paycheck element for me, but more importantly, because critical thinking, now we got to foster that shit, right? Um. But yeah, like, this is going back to to the beginning of the lecture, like, you were powerless to do so because you, you know, trying to fall in line with what society expects of you. And because of that, you started to fester these feelings of resentment, if you will. It's this, this, I'll talk about it here shortly, right? But you, these feelings of resentment, you start to fester them and harbor them towards the class that serves as really, you know, nothing more than a fucking punching bag for your misguided anger. It's not because of the philosophy class you're upset Philosophy class doesn't suck, dog. There's a reason why it's a staple of universities around the world, okay? So if it's not the philosophy in the class, then what? And the answer, of course, always and will ever only be 
you, you suck. You're a weak person. Like you're fucking letting the weakness of yourself. You're and rather than uh, acknowledge it and confront it, you're seeking to blame any and everything aside from the one place where the blame should truly rest, and that is, of course, entirely within you, right? You suck. I suck. All of us have sucked at some point or another in our life, probably still sucking right now, okay? But the good news is you can get better, right? It's not going to be easy to be sure, but it's absolutely not impossible. People do it every fucking day, dog. People live a life of fucking just comfort and, you know, passivity. And then one day to the next, they wake up and they say, you know what, man? Fuck this shit. I'm going to turn my life around 100%, okay? Um, my favorite example of this, of course, is the running man, if you will, David Goggins, right? So my girlfriend calls him the running man, right? So the question then is not why the class, your job, your life, whatever it is that you think sucks, okay? Why? The question is not why this shit sucks, but rather why you didn't do or don't do anything to stop it from sucking, okay? Why didn't you do so even though you had the power, have the power to do so the entire time, at any time, no less, right? You can keep blaming everything and everyone else for why shit is going wrong in your life. <laughs> I laugh because this was like just me an hour ago before I said, you know what, fuck that. I'm going to drop this podcast right now, right? You can keep blaming anyone and everything you want for, you know, why shit is going wrong in your life. Or you can take complete ownership of it and make it the work of art that you desire. Or, of course, or you can just continue to be a passive recipient to life, bro. Watching it unfold in front of your eyes like a fucking patron on a boring movie. Lamenting the very fact that you wasted four months, a year, 20 years, however many fucking seconds of your life that you're never going to get back on doing shit that wasn't even bringing you happiness, right? So in going back to this idea of good and evil, we understand that, you know, basically the gist is to find that shit that it is that makes you happy and give everything of ourselves, every fiber of our being to that thing, to manifesting that thing, because it will ultimately be what is responsible for bringing the happiness to our lives that we desire, right? And what he's going to tell us then is that everything else, it's just derivative of this fact, dog. Whether it be happiness, joy, sorrow, you name it, it's derivative of this fact. So again, the goal then is to discover this, okay? Discover this fact and live in harmony with it. What fact is it? Beyond good and evil, bro. It's a constant struggle. You got to find something worth living for and fucking throw everything about yourself into it and take the goods with the bads. I'm more fati, baby. Okay. And process, you know, uh, and, and try to live with, in harmony with it. Okay. A process which rather for Nietzsche, um, facili- is facilitated via philosophy. Like you can only do this through philosophical discourse and inquiry. Okay. Uh, he's going to argue because of this that this is a quote from him. The pleasant life is more desirable with wisdom than without. So according to Nietzsche, power is a better explanation for many facts than pleasure. Namely, when explaining the role or self-sacrifice or and or self-imposed suffering in human history, especially when tied into Nietzsche's ideas of self-perfection and self-overcoming. Moreover, this Nietzschean character is going to tell us, right, that like the hedonist, he's going to argue that the quality of power is more important than the quantity. So again, we're going back to the very beginning about how the expression of power in its most vulgar form is something to be frowned upon. The ultimate aim of power for Nietzsche is again, it's not the brutish, the brutish rather manifestation 
any more than the physical pleasures are not happiness for the hedonists, okay? So in this respect, Nietzsche's conception of power signifies potentiality, okay? Namely, the potentiality to overcome. The you that you are right now, the I that I am right now, that you are unhappy with, that I am unhappy with, does not have to be the you that you live with for the rest of the life, for, for the rest of your life is what Nietzsche's telling us. You have the power to overcome. I have the power to overcome, right? It's from here, it's from here that we get uh, Nietzsche's quote of that which does not overcome me only makes me stronger. It's not that which does not kill me, dog. It's that which does not overcome me. As anything that does not fucking, you know, uh, bury me basically. Again, not, not kill me, but anything that I am unable to overcome, right? Anything, if I'm able to overcome it, no matter how powerful uh, the obstacle is, even no matter how deeply it beats me down, as long as I am over able to overcome it, I will be made stronger for having done so, okay? So he's going to speak on this, then the ability to overcome, or rather, he's going to speak on the inability to overcome as the disease of weakness, Okay. It's a disease of weakness that's seeking to overcome power's health and vitality, both of which are measured by its ability to avoid this fact. This is one of the biggest problems I have with these bitch-ass, fake, woke, joke, fake, fucking progressive liberals, man. They're not strong people. They have latched. They have, I, I, I contend that they have good intentions. I, I'll, I will, for the most part, always defend that. There's exceptions, I'm sure, but I will always contend that people that turn out to be progressive liberals... For the most part, they have good intentions, okay? I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But like all forms of weakness, the aforementioned, there's no distinction between a progressive and a conservative when it comes to a person uh, ex externalizing their ego into these uh, powerful institutions like the United States government. Whether it's the conservatives or the liberals, it's the same shit, dog, okay? Um, so when it comes to the idea of these fucking fake-ass, fake, woke, joke, social justice warriors specifically... They're not strong people, dog. They've latched onto a fucking institution, namely academia, and now they're coming for government, okay? They've externalized their ego, and they think that because they've gained prominent positions within these fields, that they have now become powerful people, but they're not. These are fucking weak people, and the terrible part about this is that, you know, their weakness is a disease, basically. <laughs> you can start to see a little bit the fucking... uh how the Nazis can take this philosophy and apply it in the most brutish form. But what remember, the weakness that he's talking about is, Nietzsche is, the weakness that we as individuals have to overcome. It's a weakness that is the antithesis of power, okay? Power is health and vitality. Weakness is a disease that's fucking leeching off this health and vitality and fucking trying to destroy the will to power, okay? So in that respect then, they're both measured on their ability or inability to do so. What do I mean by that? It's simple. You can have a very, your weakness could be very able in the sense that it's able to overcome the power that you have. Conversely, it could be very incapable because you have a very resolute will to power that, you know, allows you to overcome any and all obstacles, right? So it's, it's again, finding that balance between the two. It's not even a balance, realistically. It's the goal is to make strong and make fucking and, and eliminate weakness as much as possible in one's life for no other reason than weakness will creep up on you, dog. Weakness will find any vulnerability and weakness in your life, and it'll fucking try to keep you from living this aesthetically pleasing life, work of art, beauty type shit. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> the idea then is that 
You just, just name your weakness, dog. We all have them. And then test your resolve to overcome them. My weakness is, you know, I, I got sick of spirit, dog. Okay. And like I said, it used to fucking get me down for like months, bro, months at a time. But now it's like, okay, motherfucker, you've been dealing with this for your whole life, essentially, right? Um, what are you going to do? You're just going to lay here and fucking continue to weaken under and collapse under its pressure? Or are you going to fucking fight back? At a point, it's like, okay, dude, you're like, you're an adult now. You can't just, this is me speaking to me. You can't just be laying around in bed all day lamenting your fucking existence, lamenting your fucking, your oncoming death. Like, you're going to have to do something about this, dog, because this is by no stretch of the imagination any way to live a life, okay? So, you do the shit necessary to become stronger and battle against the fucking sickness of spirit, okay? And the more you do so, it's like lifting weights, dog. When you start off, you're barely going to be able to lift up. Let's say you're doing a bench press, right? You're barely going to, or squats because squats are universal. Well, there's some bitch-ass dudes that skip leg days. Not your boy. Every day is leg day, motherfucker, right? You got to embrace the struggle. You got to embrace the fucking difficulty. Um, But we'll say leg day because it's more universal. But, you know, when you start lifting weights for the first time, you're not just going to get under a fucking squat rack and, you know, put up 225 pounds your first go around. Like, fuck no, dog. You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. You're going to barely lift any weight. And it's going to be a long, painful journey to lifting anywhere near 225 pounds. But you have one of two options. You can either fucking buckle under the pressure of knowing that it's going to take an immense amount of work to get to be able to lift 225 pounds. Or you can confront this fucking uncomfortable fact and devote every fiber of your being, assuming it's something that you desire to do, to one day being able to fucking squat 225 pounds plus, right? One way or another, though, the only thing that is certain is the time to be able to do so will inevitably pass, whether it's a fucking, what, the example that I give my students all the time instead of just to move it on from the squats example, right, is an education. Some students, they fucking hate philosophy class for no other reason than it's a course that they have to take, right? To which I always tell them, like, yo, just contextualize it this way, dog. In four years' time, perhaps even less if you really buckle down, you're either going to have a degree or you're not going to have a degree. It's that simple. Why? Because no matter what you personally do, the four years are going to come and go. The only contingent is whether or not you have the degree or not. You will get the degree if you buckle down and do all the difficult work necessary to do so. You won't get the degree if you don't, right? The same is true with squatting. Like, you know, no matter what happens, dog, like you're going to fucking get to the point where you could have either been lifting 225 or you can't. The only thing that's going to determine that is whether or not you've been doing the work necessary to do so, okay? So what he's stating then here is like, just name your weakness, dog. It could be your fear of death. It could be your fear of loan, your uh, fear of being alone, your fear of abandonment, your fucking mommy, daddy issues, just whatever the fuck it is, yo. Name your fucking weakness. And now you have a choice. You're either going to let this shit determine the overall course of your life or you're going to confront them no matter how difficult doing so may be and you're going to work towards healing and overcoming them because again, the will to power, the desire to overcome. And you're either going to allow these issues to continue to fucking bear, beat you down and strip all the meaning and beauty out of life, or you're going to overcome them and live a good, happy life. The choice is on you, bro, right? The United States government is not going to do this for you. The fucking, <laughs> the whatever professional sports franchise you enjoy is not going to fucking do that for you. The fucking Republican and Democratic Party are not going to do that for you. It's all on you, okay? And the more that you do this, okay, or rather, the more weaknesses you have, 
and the more incapable you are of overcoming them, in turn, the weaker you are and the more work you're going to have to engage in in order to be able to overcome them, right? Now, this idea, it might seem inconsequential and perhaps even a bit hyperbolic if we're being honest, okay? But there is no doubt that true, true happiness is not, not to be had in failing to do so, right? As none of us like, you know, to feel as though we're slaves to anything. So what I mean by that is like, weakness can control you, dog. Weakness is itself a master, right? And people, for the most part, there are some fucking weird ass motherfuckers out there who are gluttons for punishment. But for the most part, we don't like to feel slaves to anything. And this is part of the reason why he's going to tell us that we work so hard to deflect, if you will, these issues. Because we don't want to admit that we're fucking, we're slaves, right? And rather than do so, we're going to externalize that fucking, uh, that, that terrible feeling so we don't have to confront it. And then we're going to latch on to a powerful institution to give us the illusion that we're masters when in reality, we're not. Why? Because we don't have power. We don't have the ability to overcome, right? But we can gain it. And that's exactly what this will to power is. The will to power is the drive to be strong, okay? the drive to be capable of overcoming. You can have physical power to overcome physical obstacles and disease, okay? You can have political power to overcome societal obstacles. You can have spiritual power to overcome spiritual obstacles. You can have mental power to overcome mental obstacles, attitudinal power, and so on and so forth, okay? The question then is what is to be overcome? And in order to answer that question, we first need to understand that while the aforementioned are undoubtedly manifestations of the will to power, not all powers are created equally. Now, this is something that we've already addressed in you know the previous part of the podcast, but just to expand on it a little bit further, Nietzsche specifically, right, he's going to tell us that physical powers and good health, they're of the lowest order, right? He's going to tell us that the Ubermensch isn't necessarily going to be uh, a physically healthy person. And that because of that, striving for good health is not necessarily the highest end of the will to power. It's not the highest form of the will to power. Now, me personally, I disagree, okay? Nietzsche isn't scripture, bro, okay? So I don't have to agree, right? In fact, if you ask me personally, I would say that physical, you know, well-being is necessary in order to do so. For only in having your physical health are you able to have the rest of your life in order, right? But that's just me and my Nawa influences, the centering force of your life, you know what I'm saying? Um, because there's no, there's no denying the effect that physical wellness has on your overall affect. Okay. <laughs> so, um, the more discipline then that one gains in all the brutal days when you don't want to work out, for instance, yet you do anyways, to me at least, it's fucking priceless, bro. Because from that power is how you gain the power necessary to do all the other kind of shit, like fucking get up to do a podcast at the end of the day after fucking being a little sad boy, fucking sickness of spirit for the entirety of the day. You know what I'm saying? So um, I, I was able to do that because the power and the discipline that I've gained from, you know, not just previous times that I've done so by forcing myself to podcast, for instance, when I didn't want to, but also through that, which I gained through working out, you know, the mental power that I gained to overcome shit that I don't want to do, right? So um, anyways, and sticking true to Nietzschean philosophy, he's simply going to claim that the physical manifestation of the will, again, it's just nothing more than a quote unquote desirable precondition for True excellence, okay? So excellence then, he's going to tell us, and the pursuit thereof, it should be understood, is 
a cornerstone of Nietzschean philosophy, okay? Specifically, he's going to want to tell us then that the quote-unquote striving for excellence reaches its pinnacle not with those who conquer or overwhelm their neighbors, but with those who overcome themselves. Thus, the highest form of will to power is self-overcoming. This is achieved via the sublation of the passions, he tells us, through reason, furthering Nietzsche's insistence on the importance of philosophy. Again, per Nietzsche, the will to truth, quote-unquote, of philosophy is the most spiritual will to power. So in that respect, Nietzsche believes that strength is only good insofar as it is able to accommodate reason, which is understood as the practice of philosophy, okay? Namely in terms of allowing us mastery over our instincts, all right? So in this respect, philosophy is the most spiritual manifestation of will to power, while conversely, Christianity is what he refers to, Nietzsche does, as the quote-unquote poor in spirit, namely those that do not live in accordance to reason and thus are leading unspiritual, or to use his language, impotent lives. He's going to challenge us, bro, like, fuck that. Cast off these shackles. Stop relying on Christianity to give your life meaning. Own up to the responsibility and take the power to make your life great, okay? Take that power back into your hands rather than relying on someone or something else to do it for you. The goal is not to neuter our instincts or passions specifically, okay? Like religion asks us to do in order to be a part of the herd, nor, he's going to tell us, Nietzsche is, is um, nor is it to act on the, uh, or rather to act on these passions impulsively. The goal is to sharpen our instincts, passions, and use them to our benefit. So what he's asking then is that we overcome the limiting nature of every single system, whether it be religion, whether it be society, whatever, as long as it seeks conformity on our behalf by the imposition of constraint that their passions impose on us. He's asking us to cast those shackles off and overcome that, okay? Because this is nothing more than an attempt to subvert and overcome one's nature, right? By taking advantage of one's unthinking is what he refers to it as, right? This unthinking is a non-reflective observer to one's life. Again, being that passive observant that observer at a boring-ass movie, right? And even the quote-unquote stupid impulses, as he refers to them, that drive them to conform to the ideal. I mean, he's basically just shitting on everything still that's happening to this day, dog. He's saying this mindless, unreflective, passionless existence of the herd. Fuck all that shit. Fuck the society that enables it. Fuck the society that enforced it. And anything that falls under that society, whether it be religion, Christianity, whether it be the government, whether it be your fucking country, no matter what it is, dog, as long as it's trying to get you to a fucking uh, 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 adhere to this herd mentality, you got to reject it vehemently because ultimately it's going to neuter your impulse for overcoming and thus strip your life of the true potential meaning and purpose that it can have. So the goal then is to battle through that in order to manifest the highest ideal that one is capable of, which is, ironically, spiritualization, which he refers to as the complete mastery of oneself. Again, (laughs) 
The only good and evil is whether or not one does this in life. We've got to move beyond this Christian understanding of good and evil. Did you spiritualize or not? Were you able to completely master yourself or not? Anything that helps you do so is good. Anything that keeps you from doing so is evil. It's that simple. Any process then that helps you do this is in and of itself good, irrespective of how much value is placed on it by the society as a whole. Because again, obviously societies are not adequate measures for fucking good or evil, okay? This is the only honest, Nietzsche tells us, and by honest we mean consistent, morality, right? And unfortunately, it entails that sometimes hurting the weak is a good thing if it is in the name of self-improvement. You start to see a little bit of the troubles here that Nietzsche is going to get himself into in the future, okay? And it's because of shit like this idea where he states that the weak, of course, they're not just physically weak, or rather that it's okay to, you know, uh, master oneself, even if it comes at the expense of hurting the quote-unquote weak. Because obviously when you reach it like that, most people that don't genuinely engage with Nietzschean philosophy are going to consider it the physically weak because most people have a shitty understanding of what power is, right? Despite the fact that he's qualified it since the very beginning and said, it's not the power I'm talking about. So when I'm talking about weak people, I'm not talking about physically weak people, right? But nonetheless, obviously that's how history took it, so we got to address it. The weak, right, are not just those that are physically weak but those that serve as the antithesis to everything that it is that we've just discussed. So in that respect, Nietzsche does not condone cruelty for its own sake. Again, he's going to state that cruelty is the most impotent. There's a lot of dick talk for Nietzsche, apparently, right? I'm just realizing it. Um, but it's the most impotent manifestation of the will to power, right? So rather, what he's going to tell us, generosity and kindness, generosity and kindness. These are the true marks of strength, Nietzsche tells us, and they are the highest manifestation of the will to power. So as such, he's going to argue that the strong rarely need to resort to cruelty. The truly strong rarely need to resort to cruelty. And in some instances, he even argues that it is the duty of the strong to protect the weak. Now, it's I say in some instances because protection in general is kind of antithetical to Nietzschean philosophy because Ideally, there, there should be nothing, you should not desire for anything to protect you. But obviously, this runs afoul of actual reality because what about children? Who the fuck's going to protect children, right? What about people that are physically incapable of protecting themselves, right? Someone's got to protect them from attacks, okay? What about from emotional fucking damage and so on? So he will admit that some, in some instances, it is the duty of the strong to protect the weak, okay? So this conception then of Nietzschean power as manifested through uh, military strength, then it's clearly misguided. Anybody who correlates the two, you just don't know what the fuck they're talking about, dog. Whether it be Jordan Peterson, fucking dickface Stefan Molyneux, all the other fucking white supremacists, alt-right fuckheads that are trying to invoke Nietzsche. Like, shut the fuck up. You have no idea what you're talking about. You're philosophically ignorant, and I will bitch slap your stupid ass, okay? The most powerful are not politicians, and they certainly are not soldiers. Are the most powerful, according to Nietzsche, they are the artists and the philosophers. <laughs> As it is those who, even in the face of much of the heartbreak and betrayal inherent in life, he tells us, refuse to give in to the weakness from which both are born and maintain to be loving and loyal, right? No matter what the heartbreak is, the truly strong cannot fucking be overcome by weakness of character that leads to the fucking much of the pain and suffering inherent with everyday existence. That's true fucking strength, bro. Okay. It is those who, even in the face of realizing, for instance, the meaninglessness of life, 
They refuse to buckle and give in to this negative nihilism, if you will. But rather, we revolt, they revolt every single day as an act of affirmation of their existence. That's fucking strength, bro. Not someone who, because in the face of nihilism, fucking falls victim to ethno-nationalism because it's easier to latch on to some fucking ready-made cultural identity starter pack than it is to have to look within to find some sort of meaning, purpose, and value within your life, even in the face of a completely hostile, uh, uh, meaningless universe that is hostile to our existence, right? So the basic gist is <laughs> power is always only ever power over oneself. And thus the will to power is not license, okay, uh, to do whatever you want. But restraint, okay? Knowing that you can do both, right? Uh, you can do whatever it is that you like, but you don't because you'd rather, you know, I, <laughs> let's use the example of like someone, a person in power, say like a president or something, right? A king even more. The president, because they're the president or the king, they can have fucking the power to do anything. But a truly powerful king will recognize this fact and choose not to do so showing mastery over oneself right um because ultimately rather than destroy they'd rather act out of kindness and generosity and help instead right so again the true highest form of will to power is not the power to destroy but rather the power to create so to end it simply it'll be the will to power is manifested uh, in the ability to live your life simply as a work of art, right? And this philosophy, of course, is the basis for the Ubermensch, an idea that I will discuss on a different podcast at a different time. Because at this point, I am at about the hour-long mark. And rather than take up any more of your precious time, I'll simply wind this bitch down to an end. And, um, yeah, I will definitely get back to the one a week. It's my goal, dog. 52 podcasts, one year, 52 podcasts, Okay. Obviously, I'm going to double up this week, so I won't take up too much of your time because you know your boy's coming in hot with another podcast, hopefully within the next couple of days. So until then, I hope you all have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you next time. Peace.